Introduction Welcome to the story of Dublin's Merrion Row Huguenot Cemetery, an audio guide produced on behalf of Dublin City Council. For over 300 years, this tranquil pocket of Dublin has been a final resting place for some of the city's Huguenot population. This burial place is located on Merrion Row, one of the major streets of Dublin City. Running alongside the oasis of St Stephen's Green, Merrion Row is an eclectic mix of stately Georgian architecture and vibrant bars and restaurants. But along this lively thoroughfare, you can find a hidden lacuna of silence in the bustling capital, where black railings flank an austere stone arch that leads into a quiet place, the Huguenot Cemetery. French Protestant Calvinists known as Huguenots mostly arrived in Ireland from France in the late 1600s after the Edict of Nantes was revoked. This edict, which had been created in 1598, had allowed the Huguenots a large amount of religious freedom and civil rights in the predominantly Catholic France. When King Louis XIV revoked the edict in 1685, Thousands of Huguenots fled in search of religious tolerance. Many of them chose to find their new homes in England and Ireland, where they would go on to make major contributions, especially in the fields of commercial and financial development. The Huguenot population in Ireland was made up of conforming and non-conforming congregations. While the conforming communities retained some aspects of their Calvinist form of worship, they agreed to submit to the authority of the Church of Ireland, which allowed them to access financial supports. However, the non-conforming Huguenots, who formed about two-thirds of their population, insisted on remaining fully consistent with the Calvinist religious beliefs and practices that they had brought with them from France. By the early 1700s, the Huguenots had established churches, cemeteries, an almshouse and a charity school in Dublin. The non-conforming Huguenots, who are buried at Merrion Row, attended services first at Bride Street and later at Lucy Lane. Initially they had to worship in secret, but in 1692 they were given freedom to come into the open, on condition that their services were entirely in French. This stipulation was intended to limit the influence of their non-conformist beliefs on the wider population of Dublin. In addition to churches, the non-conformist Huguenots required their own burial ground. To meet those needs, in 1693 they leased the Merrion Row plot, which is now believed to hold more than 300 graves. Since 1772 this cemetery has been carefully maintained by the French Huguenot Fund, which was formerly known as the Société Charitable de Francois Refugie. This charity was set up in 1716 to provide financial and practical support to the penniless Huguenot refugees who kept flooding into Dublin. They still pay an annual rent of £2 for Merrion Row, a continuation of a lease which was first signed in the 17th century. As with all places, time has taken its toll on the cemetery as graves became weathered and vegetation took over parts of the graveyard. However, restoration works in the 1980s funded by the French and Irish governments have helped to restore the Huguenot Cemetery on Merrion Row to its former reverential state. 
It is thanks to the hard work of the French Huguenot Fund and Dublin City Council's Parks Department that the cemetery is in such fine condition today. Together we will explore the story of the Huguenots in Dublin and of this fascinating site which is often overlooked by busy commuters. You will hear about the Huguenots in France, how they fled persecution and contributed to Ireland's rich and diverse history. We will also talk you through some of the cemetery's features that can still be seen and tell you about some of those who have been eternally laid to rest here. Who were the Huguenots? The origins of the Huguenots lie in the fractious religious atmosphere of 16th century Europe. This was a period when many across the continent were growing increasingly disillusioned with the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church and so responded by creating new forms of Christianity. What resulted became known as the Protestant Reformation. All over Europe, people embraced these new ideas and some countries, such as England, eventually committed themselves to the Protestant religion. One of these new European Protestant reformers was a French theologian named Jean Calvin, who believed in predestination and of God's absolute sovereignty in the salvation of the human soul from death and eternal damnation. His message proved attractive to many, particularly within the Kingdom of France. His followers soon became known by a new term, Huguenots. But unlike some other countries, France had remained a majority Catholic nation. It wasn't long before the Catholic faithful across Europe began to oppose the spread of Protestantism in what was called the Counter-Reformation. Religious dividing lines were drawn and the stage was set for decades of bloody conflict. As a small minority in Catholic France, it was clear that the Protestant Huguenots faced challenging times. The primary points of difference between French Huguenots and their Catholic neighbours centred around how they felt their religion should be organised and how they interpreted the scriptures. Calvin and the Huguenots disputed the papacy's right to claim authority over all Christian churches and believed there was no scriptural evidence to justify hierarchical church positions like those of bishops. They wanted an end to convents and monasteries preferring their faith to be represented in small, plainly decorated local churches where the community played a more central role. In terms of belief, while Roman Catholics held that there were seven sacraments, Huguenots felt that the scriptures had evidence for just two, baptism and Holy Communion. They also believed in predestination, the idea that although everyone was created equal by God, some had been selected for salvation in advance while others were condemned to eternal damnation. In France, the Huguenots made up at most 10% of the total population. Most of them made their homes in the south and west of the kingdom. But Calvin's teachings proved especially popular among the aristocracy, causing many of France's elite to convert. At one point, as many as 50% of the senior nobles were Huguenot. With tensions running high, disputes were inevitable, and during the second half of the 16th century, France was engulfed in a series of bloody wars of religion. One of the most notorious and bloody incidents during this period was known as the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, when thousands of Huguenots were killed across France in 1572. 
These wars were finally brought to a close in 1598, when King Henry IV, himself a former Huguenot who had converted to Catholicism, issued a proclamation known as the Edict of Nantes. This edict confirmed Catholicism as the state religion, but it also granted toleration to French Protestants. The Huguenots were guaranteed a number of safe havens known as Place des Chouretés. Finally, it seemed like Protestant and Catholic could live together in relative peace, and for a time that proved the case. But as the years passed, new French monarchs began to eat away at the safeguards that had been put in place for the Huguenots. They came crashing down in 1685, when King Louis XIV, France's famous Sun King, revoked the Edict of Nantes altogether. With their rights and protections now gone, French Huguenots were faced with a terrible dilemma. To stay and choose between conversion or persecution, or to flee, leaving everything they had known behind, in search of a new home where they could practice their religion. Many took the latter road. So it was that as the 17th century drew to a close, thousands of Huguenots began to arrive on the shores of Britain and Ireland and the new futures that awaited them. The Huguenots in Ireland Most Huguenots began to arrive in Ireland from France in the second half of the 17th century. The majority came after 1685, when the French King Louis XIV had stripped them of religious freedoms. But some had also arrived earlier, taking advantage of crown initiatives aimed at encouraging inward Protestant migration. King Charles II and his advisers were eager to attract skilled manufacturers and traders from Europe, and the Huguenots had a renowned reputation when it came to both. In Ireland, the Duke of Ormond involved Huguenots in his efforts to develop linen and woollen productions in Chapel Lizard, County Dublin, and in Clonmel and Carrick on Shore in County Tipperary. They were also involved in industrial works such as iron ore smelting works in Enniscorthy, County Wexford. But it was after 1685 that the Huguenots really made their mark on Ireland. Considerable numbers served in the armies of King William III as they battled the forces of King James II for control of the island between 1689 and 1691. Among the best known were Frederick, Duke of Chambord, and Henry Massu, Marquis de Rouveny, both of whom were senior commanders in William's army. Some of these military Huguenots benefited from William's ultimate victory in the conflict, particularly when land confiscated from the defeated Jacobites was made available to them. Many disbanded Huguenot military officers were also given pensions on condition that they settled in Ireland. The Marquis de Rouveny would eventually be created Earl of Galway and rose to become head of the government in Ireland. This bloody conflict that brought so many Huguenots to Ireland caused a parallel migration in the opposite direction. Thousands of defeated Irish Jacobites headed to the continent in search of new lives of their own, an outflow that spawned the wild geese tradition in France and the continent. But it wasn't just war that brought the Huguenots to the island. For these skilled traders, Ireland held both attraction and opportunity. Not only were they free to openly practice their religion here, but they also had easy access to becoming citizens and free men in Ireland's towns and cities. 
Importantly, this allowed them to trade on the same terms as those who were already established and opened the door to higher office and social progression. As a result, many Huguenots found in Ireland an opportunity to rebuild much of the lives they had lost in France. As the years passed, Huguenots began to establish themselves across much of the country. The largest Irish Huguenot populations were in Dublin and Cork, but there were also settlements in Carlow, Kilkenny, Lisburn, Port Arlington, Waterford, Clonmel, Carrickenshore, Dundalk, Inishannon, Wexford, Castle Blaney, Kilishandra, Limerick, Sligo and Yall. A particularly large group made their home in Port Arlington, County Leash, where French became one of the major spoken languages and a French-speaking Huguenot church was established. This transposed French community brought with them their educational ideals and it wasn't long before public classical schools began to spring up, creating an early educational industry in Ireland's heartlands. Port Arlington became known as the Paris of the Midlands. Everywhere the Huguenots went, they made a lasting mark on Irish society. This is nowhere more evident than in the city that was home to the most important Huguenot communities in Ireland, the Royal City of Dublin. The Huguenots in Dublin As the Huguenot émigrés of the 17th century began to settle into their new lives in Dublin, they were faced with another choice. As valued members of the city's Protestant population, they were largely free to practice their religion, albeit with some conditions. But would they fully stick to the form of Calvinism they had followed in France, or instead make the decision to align themselves with the dominant Anglican Protestantism of the Church of Ireland? In the end, different Dublin Huguenots made different decisions. As a result, by 1700, there were four different Huguenot congregations in the city, Two who conformed to the Church of Ireland, and two who did not, choosing instead to remain as non-conforming. The conforming French families who tied themselves to the Church of Ireland worshipped in two places. The first, which opened in April 1666, was at St. Patrick's Cathedral. In 1704, a breakaway conformist church was established at St. Mary's Abbey, but by 1716, they had reunited with the Huguenots of St. Patrick's. Inside St. Patrick's Cathedral, the Huguenots enjoyed a special area of worship that had been set aside especially for them. It was then that the Lady Chapel, behind the main altar, was designated l'Église Française de Saint Patrick, and it remains associated with the Huguenots to this day. Dr. Marie Leotra, professional historian and chair of the Irish section of the Huguenot Society of Great Britain and Ireland, explains how the Huguenot connection to the Lady Chapel is still celebrated to this day. So the Huguenot Society itself was created in 1885, but we have the Irish branch, uh, of which I'm chair and very proud to be. So we exist to perpetuate the memory of the Huguenots in Ireland. So we 
We are not just four descendants, although some of our members are um, descendants of Huguenot families settled here, but we also look at Protestantism, exile and integration. So it's not purely, you know, for, for people who have Huguenot blood. It's really for anyone who has an interest on their legacy and their importance to, to Irish society to this day. And so we do have um, Huguenot descendants, but also academics. So there's a good mix uh, of, of people in it. And the Huguenot sermon takes place once a year, usually in November or October, because the revocation of the Edict of Nantes is pronounced on the 17th of October and then becomes law on the 22nd of October, 1685. So it's usually around that time that we do the, the Huguenot sermon. So it's, it's usually just to remember the the legacy that they, and, and their suffering as well, because it, there's a human element to this. We're talking about, you know, refugees who fled persecution. So it's it's kind of important, especially nowadays, I think, to, to have that moment of reflection and, and compassion in some ways. So usually the sermon has, it's, it's the even song in St. Patrick's Cathedral, so there is always singing. And the vicar, uh, Charles Mullen, actually composed, together with the organist, a Huguenot anthem that is played every year. And um, usually the, the French ambassador is there and reads one of the lessons. And this year I was lucky enough to read one of the, the prayers as well in French. So always an echo of the French language in St. Patrick's Cathedral. So yes, and with the, the diary of uh, Elias Buero, we, we also know that, well, it, it was used um, for, for quite a long time and the registers were kept in French. Buero and his family, part of his family, his wife and his mother are buried there. Um, so that's definitely a, a site to, to visit as well. Those who chose not to conform, but to follow their religion exactly as they had done in France, also had two places of worship. Their earliest, initially illegal church was at Wood Street. They later moved to St. Peter's on Peter Street, known as French Peter's, and had a burial ground beside the church. The church remained in use until 1814, with the last recorded cemetery burial in 1879. Another non-conforming congregation established itself at Bride Street in 1692. It was this community that first established their cemetery at Marion Row, the subject of this audio guide. Over time, the Bride Street congregation moved its place of worship across the River Liffey to Lucy Lane, now Chancery Place, close to the Forecourts. Their Lucy Lane Church remained active until 1772. Throughout all that time, they continued the tradition of burying their dead at Marion Row. But the real impact of the Huguenots in Dublin was not religious, but commercial. These skilled artisans, merchants and traders settled all over the city, with particular concentrations in places like the Dublin Liberties and in the southeastern suburbs. Indeed, Huguenots were so numerous that some estimates suggest as many as 5% of Dublin's population may have been culturally French by the early decades of the 18th century. The city's Huguenot refugees came from all walks of life, from the lowliest labourers to the upper echelons of society. They quickly developed a particular reputation for producing a wide variety of luxury and consumer goods of exceptionally high quality. Among the products they became particularly associated with were textiles and silk. They also excelled at gold work 
and at one point, 20% of Dublin's Goldmasters Guild members were French. As Dublin's consumer culture began to boom in the 18th century, it was apparent that the Huguenots had found their niche. By then, these French refugees had become an integral part of Dublin life. The significant and lasting contributions they made during this period were manifested in a variety of ways, from furniture production to housing development. But by supplying the wants and needs of the city's elite, they had ensured their lasting integration into the fabric of urban life and society. This success as a community is something that can be traced through the family and individual stories of many of those who were laid to rest at the Marion Row Cemetery. Marion Row Cemetery Today, the Huguenot Cemetery at Marion Row is tucked away in a quiet spot in an otherwise busy Dublin street. Property in this salubrious area, which overlooks the famous St Stephen's Green, can cost millions. But back in the 1600s, when Dublin was a younger city, this area was on the outskirts of town and the land around it was considered poor and marshy. In the mid-1600s, the city's government divided the area around St Stephen's Green into lots. On these lots, a number of two-storey houses were built that were quite different to the 18th and 19th century Georgian townhouses seen today. Two prominent Huguenot brothers called Jean and Louis de Minière, wealthy merchants originally from Rouen, were responsible for leasing some of these lots. They ensured that six of the ten lots here on the north side of the green were given to Huguenot families. Lot 10, owned by the Blue Coat School, now known as King's Hospital School, was rented to the non-conforming Huguenots. The congregation took out a tenant's interest for £16 in 1693 and the site became a cemetery. This lease was held in perpetuity and to this day the land is still leased from King's Hospital School by the French Huguenot Fund for the price of £2 per year. Some of the cemetery's interesting features include a memorial porch which can be seen at the back wall. This is reputed to have come from the Huguenot Chapel on Lucy Lane, which was demolished in 1825. It was rebuilt here in 1880 by the Huguenot Society. A stone plaque in the centre of the porch was erected in 1999 to replace an original brass plaque that was stolen. The same words adorn the stone plaque that were carved in brass 200 years ago. They read, Erected in loving memory of all those whose mortal remains have been laid within this cemetery. The stone plaque also displays the Huguenot Society emblem and the Huguenot cross. This cross is similar in design to the Maltese cross, but is adorned with fleur-de-lis, which symbolises the Huguenot's connection with France. The back wall of the cemetery can sometimes be obscured from view by the leafy green foliage of the resident mulberry tree. This is not accidental. The trees are known for their silkworm moths that produce mulberry silk and are highly symbolic of the Huguenot community, many of whom worked as silk weavers. The Marion Row mulberry was planted by the French ambassador in 1989 to mark the occasion of the cemetery's restoration. 
Just inside the boundary of the cemetery and to the left is a carving that lists the 240 surnames of the families known to have been interred here. Not all of them have grave markers. This is due to the Calvinist belief that the departure of the soul from the body was the significant moment of death and that headstones marking final resting places were irrelevant. In time, as the Huguenots became more assimilated into Irish life, some of them did choose to mark their family plots. The railed boundary wall at the front of the cemetery was moved into its current position in 1936. This was to align the front of the burial ground with the rest of the street. Before this, the wall was positioned further forward. Those buried on what is now the footpath were reinterred in the Mazir plot, located to the right of the gate. The families of Merrion Row. A large number of Huguenot families are represented in the Merrion Row Cemetery. To the right of the central footpath are the family plots of the Dubeda from Agen, the Tardis from the west coast of France, and the Marlans from the town of Weisenburg, on the French-German border. The family plots of the Lunnels and the Mazir can be found closer to the front right-hand side of the cemetery. To the left of the entrance are the family plots of the Badier, Dabzac, the Boileau and Delir. The Deliers were originally from the Montauban, near Toulouse in the south of France. Their name remains especially familiar to modern Dubliners thanks to Delir Street. It is so called in honour of Jeremiah Delir, who went from Huguenot Goldsmith to a founding governor of the Bank of Ireland. English is used on every headstone in the cemetery except the oldest, which is written in French. The headstone belongs to a Huguenot named Jugla, who died in 1710. Though the cemetery closed in 1901, the last memorial was erected 98 years later, in 1999. Dedicated to Reverend Jacques Fontaine and his wife, the memorial reads, In memory of Jacques Fontaine, 1658 to 1728, and his courageous wife, Anne-Elizabeth Boursiquois. Fontaine fled France in 1685, served as a minister in Cork and on the Bear Peninsula, established a classical school in St. Stephen's Green in 1709. His memoirs stand as a remarkable testimony of the Huguenot experience. This stone given by descendants in America, 15th May, 1999. Notable burials. The surviving sources also allow us to explore the lives of some of the individuals who are interred in Marion Row. One of the most prominent is Henry Joseph Dabzak, whose memorial still survives in the cemetery. Born in Menorca to Huguenot parents in 1737, Henry came to Ireland in 1745 with his mother and father. He entered Trinity College Dublin to complete a degree in the 1750s the start of an association with the university that would last a lifetime. Henry eventually rose to become a professor of Greek, modern history and laws. It wasn't all plain sailing though, as his positions didn't allow him to marry. When he did so in 1774, he had to keep it a secret. Luckily, he soon received a special dispensation from the Trinity Provost, 
Henry eventually became Trinity's librarian, a position he held until his death in 1790. We can sometimes forget in the solemn and respectful surroundings of cemeteries that just like us, those buried there had lives filled with joy and anger, ambition and disappointment, pain and love. Many of them led fascinating lives. Without doubt, one of the most colourful individuals interred at Marion Row is Captain Theophilus de Brise, the very definition of a Dublin character. Theophilus had left France following the revocation of the Edict of Nantes in the 17th century and went on to fight for King William III. He eventually married and settled down in Dublin. Theophilus lived to a ripe old age and even managed to father a son when he was 78. As the years passed, he became a noted figure as he walked about the city, still dressed in the 17th century fashion of his youth, decades after clothing styles had changed. Theophilus also remained a staunch Williamite to the end and wasn't afraid to show it. His house in Dublin was said to have displayed a humorous, if somewhat provocative, plaque, which read, May we never want a Williamite to kick the... of a Jacobite. How Huguenot families changed over time. Dr. Marie Leotre explains about different families that came to Ireland and how they assimilated and changed over time. So 1685 is the revocation of the Edict of Nantes, the Huguenots flee, so people would have left France around the time of the revocation. In Dublin, this four different congregations of Huguenots, two that are non-conformist and two that are conformist in 1703. There is a movement towards becoming part of the established church. That doesn't mean that, you know, French Protestants completely change, but there is an open-mindedness there um, in terms of accepting a, a slightly different way of uh, practicing their religion. They also are granted a lot of um, advantages in terms of joining the different guilds and professions, becoming citizens, being exempt from taxes for five, seven years, definitely gives them an edge. They are really encouraged to assimilate as opposed to just integrate. And then obviously you, you see that through some names, uh, for example, um, Blanc becomes white or Buero becomes Burroughs. You can see that over time. And also when we are lucky to have correspondence or deeds that remain in, say, the National Archives or the King's Inn, you can see that, for example, testaments and, and wills, they, the first generations would be in French and then over 10, 20 years, it becomes English. Maybe you'll, you'll have the first sentence in French. And the first generation, obviously, yes, would have wanted perhaps to retain some of their their Frenchness, maybe out of nostalgia, or but once their children are born, you know, all they know is Ireland. So it's it's kind of natural to embrace Irish ways. Dolier Street um, would have been the name of a goldsmith. Um, Diggs Lane is is the middle name of the the Diggs Latouche. The the Latouche family had the first governor 
of the Bank of Ireland. So, you know, it's, it's kind of an important role in 1783. There's a few other places like this that have, if, if you look close enough, have a French connection. The, the liberties are still associated, at least in popular culture, with the Huguenots. Whether or not there was a community, um, someone like Raymond Pierre Hilton, probably the main expert on the Huguenot community in Dublin, did not find that much evidence. So that there was definitely a connection, but perhaps not as big as we used to think. And um, obviously the, the Lady Chapel in St. Patrick's Cathedral is still is still used for the Huguenot sermon once a year. So, and this is where a few important French figures are still buried to these days. So, Elias Buero, who had been the secretary to Henri de Ruvigny of Port Arlington fame, is buried there. So, there's still, if you look well enough, you can find a few places where the Huguenots still are. The Huguenot legacy. As we have heard, the Huguenot legacy in Ireland is a long, varied and prominent one. Families like the Deliers, remembered in Merion Row, were not the only ones to make their mark. Across the centuries, Dublin Huguenots have made contributions in many political, economic and cultural spheres. A glance through the 18th century Dublin directories reveals just how embedded in city life they became. There we find Huguenots like John Odebert, a baker on George's Lane, Paul and William Espinas, brewers at St. James's Gate, and John Guizot, a grocer at the sign of the Three Sugar Loaves on Capel Street. There was Henry Noblu, who made hats at Essex Gate, Peter Vautou, a tanner who plied his trade on Mill Street, and Lodovic Monde, who fashioned tin into household necessities on Bow Lane. Many other Dublin Huguenots made their living as merchants, dealing in commodities like glass, linen, sugar, wine and wool. People like the Boileau, Dubeda, Lunel, Mazière and Tardy families, all of whom are buried at Marion Row. By far the wealthiest Dublin Huguenots were the Latouche, who, like the Deliers, achieved banking fame and became prominent in the founding of the Bank of Ireland. Over the years, they became involved in a variety of global commercial ventures and came to own several large Irish country estates, including Marley in Rathfarnham, which is now a public park. Like many who conducted business within the empire in this period, they drew their wealth from a wide range of sources, including slave plantations in Jamaica. But aside from commercial and political life, Dubliners of Huguenot descent have also made significant contributions to the arts. This started early with émigré like Henrietta Deering. Born in France before the revocation of the Edict of Nantes, she became a professional artist in Dublin in 1703. Henrietta continued to paint as she moved between England and the American colonies through the remainder of her life. Hers is a mantle that was taken up in the 19th century by Mary Martha Almond, the granddaughter of a Huguenot scientific and mathematical instrument maker. She became particularly well known for her watercolour landscapes of Dublin and Wicklow. These women were joined by other notable Huguenot artists with ties to the capital, such as Georges-Victor Dunoyer and Gabrielle Berenger. Dubliners of Huguenot extraction became just as prominent in the world of writing. 
Charles Maturin and Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu both gained reputations as 19th-century Gothic horror writers, with Le Fanu in particular becoming a great proponent of the development of the ghost story. It was not just Dublin Huguenots who left their calling cards on the modern city. Perhaps the most influential of all was James Gandon. He was born in London in 1742, the son of a Huguenot gunsmith. After he came to Ireland in the 1780s, he became one of the island's great architects. Today's urban landscape owes landmarks such as the Custom House, O'Connell Bridge and the King's Inns to his efforts. Iconic elements of Dublin that would not stand in their current form were it not for the Huguenot influence on the city. The Huguenots in Ireland today the passage of centuries has seen Dublin's Huguenots spread out around the world, creating a truly transnational diaspora. Today, many of those of Huguenot descent remember their Dublin connections with pride. Among the most prominent are the Fontaine Maurice Society in the United States, who are responsible for the 1999 memorial in Merion Row we heard about earlier. Their mission is to honour the dying wish of Jacques de la Fontaine, whose last hope was that all members of his family would stay close and aid each other through the ages. Jacques had come to Ireland in 1694 and was buried in the Merion Row Cemetery in 1728. His son-in-law was another French-born Dublin Huguenot, Matthew Maury. Matthew and Jacques' descendants emigrated to America, beginning the American line, which now stretches to hundreds of members. The Huguenot presence remains vibrant in Dublin and Ireland, just as it does abroad. The Huguenot Society of Great Britain and Ireland holds regular lectures, seminars and outings. As well as regularly publishing on the history of Irish Huguenots, they have established an Irish Huguenot archive in the Representative Church Body Library in Churchtown, County Dublin. Every year the Society remembers Ireland's Huguenots in a special service at St Patrick's Cathedral. Another contemporary legacy of these émigrés is the French Huguenot Fund, first founded as the Société Charitable de François Réfugiés à Dublin, to assist poor and destitute Huguenots arriving in Dublin. At more than 300 years old, it survives today as Dublin's oldest charity and continues to provide assistance to Huguenot descendants, usually those with severe health conditions, and to lease the Merion Row Cemetery. Transcriptions of many of the Fund's most important historic records can be found in the French Huguenot Fund papers at Marsh's Library. The cemetery at Merion Row remains the most recognisable and widely known reminder of Dublin's Huguenots, with thousands of locals and visitors passing by its gates each and every day. Although the cemetery is not accessible on a permanent basis, Visitors can still enjoy the tranquillity and beauty of this evocative little graveyard from beyond the railings, and hopefully with the help of some of their stories, learn something of their history, their lives, and their contribution to the city which gave them a home. Conclusion Thank you for listening to the Merion Row Huguenot Cemetery Audio Guide. We hope you have enjoyed exploring the story of the cemetery, 
its people and the Huguenot community in Ireland and around the world. If you are interested in other aspects of Dublin's ecclesiastical and Huguenot history, why not check out some other nearby sites that are maintained by Dublin City Council? In the Coombe, you can find the remains of 18th century St Luke's, a church where some Huguenots once worshipped. St Kevin's Park in Camden Row is home to the ruins of another church, established in the 13th century and dedicated to St Kevin of Glendalough. In 1698, it was offered to the Huguenot community as a place where they could worship and bury their dead. This audio guide was written and produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Dublin City Council. The script was written by Tara Clark and Damien Shields. Historical research was carried out by Dr. Coleman Dennehy and narration was by Sarah Jane Scott. The guide was produced in Bluebird Studios, County Dublin, with sound engineer Declan Lonergan and producer Tara Clark. Special thanks to Vivian Costello, a French Huguenot Fund trustee, for her assistance during the guide production, and to Dr Marie Leotre for her contribution to the guide. If you would like to learn more about Dublin's fascinating historical cemeteries, visit the Dublin City Council website. Here you will find additional free audio guides for the Jewish Cemetery in Ballybock and the burial ground at Cabbage Garden, where many of the conforming Huguenots were buried. That guide also explores some of the Huguenot links with St. Patrick's Cathedral and Marsh's Library. You can find more audiobooks exploring the stories of other heritage sites around Ireland on our website at abartaheritage.ie. We hope you have enjoyed exploring the story of the Merion Row Cemetery. And please spare a thought for those peacefully interred here. <laughs>